Yeah, I don't know if you've seen that account, like Weird Dali. They have like crazy images, you know, that they that they put on, like the Demogorgon from Stranger Things holding a basketball. That is like insane. That is like so cool. And you know, you, you go through it, and there's like oh amazing things that are like that are like so fun. You're listening to Gradient Descent, a show about machine learning in the real world, and I'm your host Lucas Bewald. Boris Dema is a machine learning consultant and a longtime Weights and Biases user. In fact, he started using us in such early days when I knew all of the users. Boris has gone on to build a model called Dolly Mini, which is a model inspired by OpenAI's famous Dolly project. And somehow Dolly Mini has just captured the imagination of the world to the point where I've seen it in New Yorker cartoons. I see it all over my Facebook feed. It's just an amazing piece of work. And I'm really excited to talk to him about it today. So, I mean, maybe taking a step back for people who maybe aren't familiar with Dolly at all. Could, could you talk about what Dolly is and what Dolly Mini is and, and Dolly Mega and how, how you've been working on this? Yeah, yeah. So Dali is that uh, that um, it came from that paper from OpenAI of uh, beginning of last year, and it was really amazing. And actually, you know, the first time I saw it was a tweet you posted about it, and I replied to that tweet, and I was like, I'm gonna build that, and I was like, <laughs> this is so cool, and I was like, I'm gonna build that. I want to build that, and um, and it was basically OpenAI had done the first like uh, impressive um, impressive image generation model that you would type any prompt and you would do something that looked actually cool. Because before you had like a image GPT or whatever, which would do like something very tiny. You have a bit the idea, but it would do something more complex like the avocado armchair, which was cool at the time. Nowadays, the avocado armchair is just something simple. <laughs> like, it's nothing impressive anymore. It's crazy. Like a few months ago, I was still very happy when I had good avocado armchair. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's where it came from. and. Um, and basically, like um, in uh, July of last year, I, I wanted to build it. I didn't do anything for six months. Um, I read the paper quite a few times. I don't know how many times I read it. I read <laughs> it like a ton of times. And I didn't understand much to it. <laughs> and um, and at some point, like um, Hugging Face and Google, they organized like a hackathon where you had to build something cool in uh, JAX, which is like a, a programming framework from Google. And uh, you would have those cool computers from Google, those TPU, uh, VM, and I was like, okay, that's an opportunity to do something cool. So I was okay, I'm gonna try to build uh, to build the replication of Dali um, in terms of the results. And uh, it turns out that it worked pretty well. You know, I I researched a lot of the papers. Some people joined in the team too, and uh, somehow the the program had pretty cool results for such a short time frame. And then I continued. Can you describe how the program works? I mean, it really feels like magic. Like, how is it actually set up? I know, I know. It felt like magic for me for so long, you know? And I think even if I read the paper again now, each time I read it, I, I learn new things. Um, so basically, the way it works is you, you, you have a like good model right now for NLP, which uh, transform text into text. So for example, let's say for... Um, let's say for summarization, or let's say for translation, going from English to French. And you are trying to do kind of the same thing, except instead of going from English to French, we want to go from English to an image. But it's it's almost like the same. It's just a translation. Um, so the way you do it, when you do like, um, 
when you do text to text, you encode each text become a token. It's just a number, a unique number. And you try to predict that sequence of number and each number corresponds to some text. And we try to do the exact same thing, except that each number corresponds to a patch of an image. So mm -hmm. that's all it is. So, so first you need to try to create an encoder that's going to transform that image into a sequence of numbers. The same that the tokenizer for text would do. And once Wait, you have that... Sorry, can you slow down a little bit for me? So, Oh, sorry. You, you, you have an encoder that's that's taking text, right? And turning it into some kind of encoded vector. Yeah, that's and right. And then the vector goes into a decoder that creates the image. That's right. But I what did you say about the batches? Or Yeah, no, no, that, that's exactly right. Except typically when you have the, the decoder, it would create a number that corresponds again to text. Now oh. you want the you want that number to correspond to some kind of image. Oh, so, I see. So, right, right. So you could try to do RGB, like the pixel values. The problem is there would be too many, so it wouldn't be very efficient. That, that's what uh, Image GPT was doing, and that's why they had like maybe it was sixteen by sixteen squares. Or so mm -hmm. it would be very very small and it's very limited. Mm -hmm. But instead, what uh, OpenAI did, did. Uh, each number corresponded to a patch. So mm. for example, one number can correspond to a green patch. One mm. number cor can correspond to a blue patch with a yellow dot in the center. They, they all correspond to something more complex. I see. So, so you train basically a separate model that's completely independent and that's trained separately and frozen later that mm -hmm. learns how to create those patches. And the goal is you wanna, because you're limited in vocabulary, maybe you can create only 10,000 different patches. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. 16,000 or something like that. I think it's what is used commonly. Mm -hmm. um, so what you do, you want to you wanna create the patches that are going to be used the most often, the ones mm -hmm. that are the most relevant. So you have a model that basically is trained to find those patches. It looks at a lot of images and mm -hmm. tries to encode it into, into a code book where in the end, when you reconstitute the image, it's as close as possible to, to the original ones. Mm -hmm. Once you build that, once you're able to go from image patch to a number, it's the mm -hmm. exact same thing as doing a, a translation. Mm -hmm. And are, are the patches in like a grid, like a two by two grid? That, that's right, they're in a grid. So often, I think for me, the picture is divided. Each patch is about like a 16 by 16. Oh, wow. It's amazing you don't notice that. Yeah, those are big patches. So it's, it's not completely independent patches because it's a unit. So with the convolution, you know, there's a bit some overlap in the middle. Uh, which which makes sure that you don't see those patches. I see. Yeah. So they're kind of blended together between. The... Exactly. I see. Yeah. yeah. And then, interesting. And so is it? So it's the same as as like with a like from the attention is all you need paper with with the like attention um, encoder is is kind of identical to that translation model. Is that right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's very similar. So Dali, what they do, they have just it's just GPT. So you have GPT, it reads the text, then mm -hmm. there's like a special token maybe. I mean, I don't have exactly the details because the, the, the code is not released on the paper, but the paper is very detailed, but it's missing a few of the small details. Uh -huh. So it's like you have all the text and then you have the encoding for the image at mm -hmm. some point. And so it predicts, and at some point there must be a special token that says, hey, now it's an image. So it mm -hmm. switched to another modality. Mm -hmm. um, me, my model is slightly different in the sense that have the encoder, it's like a translation model where the encoder and decoder is separate. Mm -hmm. So the encoder will read the caption um, mm -hmm. and then the decoder will do the image and will be causal. And the idea was that 
the idea was that it would be maybe more efficient. And now with like a 1D like string of text, I kind of understand how you feed back each individual one into the decoder and it looks at the previous um, words. But how, how does that generalize to like a 2D image? How do you, how do, you do that? So the 2D image, actually, you just put the patches next to each other. You don't consider the 2D. So it's actually an issue too, because basically when you when you predict the image, it's almost you predict from top left to right, um, to bottom right, you know? Oh, is that right? Just like in a line by line? Yeah, yeah, oh, that's what is done. So so that's a problem because if you mess up at some point, it influences the, the, the entire rest. That, that's a limitation that diffusion models don't have, for example. And now, like, how do you actually train this? Because I would think it would generate images that would typically be just totally different. Like, you know, each image actually is quite different from like an RGB value. So, so how does the training work? So the training, the way it works is like um, the image you will first encode it into a sequence of numbers. Mm-hmm. And then your, your text will be also a sequence of numbers, typically when you have your tokenizer. And, uh, and your input basically is going to be those numbers for the text, and the output is going to be those numbers for the image. But the, the, so the, the image encoder, you, you don't, you, it's frozen at that point. You don't train it. So you just have, you just go from numbers, a sequence of numbers to another sequence of numbers. So then what you do, um, you, you have that uh, decoder, it will predict the logits, it will predict what are the numbers for that image. And it's decoder that goes from one to one, and and the, the attention looks only at the previous uh, the previous patches, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, it will it will predict it. And then you have the ground truth because you know what is the real image. Mm-hmm. So then you're gonna calculate cross entropy. You're gonna calculate the loss, the same that you would do with another problem, to see mm-hmm. how wrong you were. So basically, it's kind of strange because you have a caption that will say a, a cat uh, in the field, and then you have a ground truth image. And basically, the goal is to predict that ground truth image. Um, it's a bit counterintuitive that it works because there's so many possible cats in the field. Right. Uh, and it could be right. And you try to predict only one specific one, which is that specific image you're looking at right now. Uh, but somehow it works. Somehow it learns to eventually, you know, to, to associate concept, to minimize the probability. Like the way to, the simple way to think about it is let's say if you want to predict um, a view of something by night or the view of something or the, the beach during the day that the the model will try will know that okay it should probably be dark uh, images at the top it's gonna be black um, because it's the night or it's gonna be very dark blue so I'm gonna just increase the probability for those tokens and if you say during the days like it's probably going to be blue maybe there's some sky up there and um, and then when it outputs the next tokens, it already knows the previous ones. So, you know, you have part of the image, you need to predict the rest. It's it's easier to, to, to predict. Oh, so when you're doing the prediction, you're feeding in part of the ground truth image and then trying to complete it? So you're feeding the entire image, but basically each token sees what is before itself. So, for example, the first patch doesn't see anything, but mm-hmm. the second patch sees the one that's before. Not its prediction. It's the one that actually was before. Uh, so, sorry. The second patch token sees the ground truth patch, not the predicted, the, not the first predicted patch. You're right. The second patch sees the ground truth of the first patch. And I like, see. let's say when you predict the second bottom half, it already knows the exact 
grand truth of the first uh, top. And it also sees the prompt. So, you know, it's the prompt also is supposed to help. Right. But I guess I would think, like, if you were just, like, say, you, you, you know, a cat at night or something. Yeah. If I was going to guess, like, just a whole image of that, that I want yeah. to be closer from, like, an RGB space, yeah. I, I could imagine it might be better to just predict, like, gray than, like, yeah. drawing a specific cat in a specific... Point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that, that's actually a huge problem that, uh, remember I was playing with colorization before and uh-huh. yeah, you, you predict gray is like the, the, the best, <laughs> the most chance if you don't know anything, just output a gray image. Right. <laughs> but, um, but in that case, the loss is cr- cross entropy on tokens. So you don't have an advantage in predicting gray because you have the same loss for being correct or for, for being wrong, depending on the color. The, being saying gray or blue while it's red, you, you have the same loss there. So, oh, so you're predicting the probability of the next token, and there's yeah. only a set of... I see. Yeah. I see. So so there's, you don't have the problem that it's going gonna, it's gonna to show like a black and white images, or it has to predict something, and a color is it may as well. I see. What was it like to, to build this? Like, what kinds of issues did you run into? I would think this would be one of those things where it's just incredibly hard to debug when the program's not working. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is It is quite hard because you, you don't know why why it's not running and, and what's happening. I think, you know, what What was good is the, the first version, the Dali Mini. Maybe we were lucky. Somehow it worked well pretty fast. Um, and, you know, we, we thought a bit of those details, you know, like, seeing the last token, you can have a little mistake, like you have an offset of one token, or you have little prems, um, and it doesn't work. And we use the pre-trained model. So we use just a summarization model. And we decided, okay, the decoder returns from scratch. Now it needs to predict the, the images. And what was good is it actually, it actually worked pretty well fast. So when I, um, when I worked later more on the larger model, um, you, you have always a baseline, you know, you know, is it getting better or worse? And But there were some bugs that I spent two weeks or more to to understand what was happening, what, why it doesn't work. Uh, can you tell me about one of them? <laughs> one difficult one was like, um, let me try to think of an interesting one. Um, an interesting one was like, uh, I was trying to use um, Alibi, which is like uh, the way you encode the position embeddings and all. No, no, sorry, I, I messed up. I was trying to use SyncFormer. So SyncFormer is is a certain way of uh, adapting the transformer where you normalize uh, you normalize the token and all. But it's used for uh, encoder models, but for decoder, basically, you don't realize it, but you have some information that leaks through the next token. So so I would have my loss that was going very well, very fast uh, to, to close to zero. And I had no clue why. And it's just when it normalizes, it gets some information of the future. And that was really hard to, to understand why, why that type of model didn't work. But, but the biggest challenges were actually, you know, when you make it larger, training those large models is very, very hard. And um, when I first had the small model, I was okay, it's going to be easy to have a large model. I'm just going to add more layers <laughs> and, uh, and train it on bigger computers. <laughs> Or for longer, maybe a bit more data, and, and it's just gonna run. But uh, but un- unfortunately, it didn't work, <laughs> and that was like that was a bit sad. And first, you have to you know be able to split the memory well across all the devices, 
uh, it's not very easy because one model doesn't necessarily fit on one device. So you need to spread the weights across the other devices. JAX has cool features to do that, by the way. That was very, very helpful to do that. But then you know that you have the model that becomes unstable. You have peaks that happen randomly. You know, it starts well the first hours. You have your loss that goes on and you're so happy. And then suddenly you have like big peaks and like, oh, okay, fine. I'm going to restart before. And it's like, okay, now it went through. But like five minutes later, another peak. And <laughs> it was like really, really hard. Um, on that level, something that was cool is like, uh, as I was training it, I, I was making my uh, my uh, reports, you know, on weights and biases. And I was sharing them online all the time since, uh-huh. since I was working on that. And what's cool is like uh, the the community on on Twitter and all got very engaged with it, and they were like so helpful. You know, actually, I don't know if I would have been able to to build it to the, with that success without having shared all the journey. Because like I had like few key elements that helped make the model better, and that were shared by by replies on Twitter. Like, oh, maybe maybe you could try that. Like the optimizer we use, like distributed shampoo, and it just came. Kind of randomly through Twitter or super conditioning from from Catherine Cross, and it was like a bit random things that I discovered along the way just by sharing um, that training uh, publicly. So it was very beneficial for me. That's amazing. So you were sharing wits and biases reports on Twitter and getting feedback. Oh yeah, yeah. I was getting feedback, and I think little by little there was interest. I was showing the the new predictions. And then I was like, okay, I wanted that uh, little demo online so people can play with it a bit. And so people were already engaged, like, oh, yeah, I see it's better at that or it's bad at this. And uh, it would give me an idea on what to correct. And uh, it, having it open um, helped me a lot because in the end, it, it's almost like it feels like it was not just my work. Um, I, I got like free advice from everybody too. So it was, uh, it was really good. It would be fun to see all the weights and biases reports. I wonder if you could like make a collection of the, <laughs> the history. I, I, I did. Yeah. Ah, cool. Yeah, if you open, I have a main report basically, and I link to all those reports. Uh, I, I link to all the main ones. If I had to link to all of them, uh, there would probably be like fifty reports or more, you know. And there's some I did just for myself that I wouldn't share because they were missing. You know, like the, the things like sometimes like oh yeah, you have a conclusion, you do some test, and like okay. It's important maybe to use Dropout or not, not to use, or weight decay has no effect, but you forget it when you do so many experiments. You, you forget why, why you don't use it. And so I would always go back to my report. I know I, know I had those experiments somewhere, and, and I would type a line like, oh, here, this is the runs. Those are the runs that show that you shouldn't use that. And uh, it was actually very convenient for me to see why I take some decisions or why the previous code run, but not now. What was the difference between those two runs? Um, it was like, it was major help. That's really cool. Do you feel like there was enough in the, the Dolly paper to really reproduce it? Or did you feel like there were things you had to like key things you had to learn along the way to really get the thing to work? So the Dolly paper actually provides pretty clearly the main ideas and the main ideas is like, there's the last model we didn't talk about, but there's one model that's going to encode the image. The one I use is not the same as the DALI, it's actually one from uh, Timing Transformers. Some other people adapted it and added some GAN loss in there, some perceptual loss to, to make it uh, a bit better. So the premise creates those weird artifacts that we have sometimes on the faces and all, uh, versus the original one, what it would do, it would do something blurry. Um, so, and then there's that, that model that needs to predict the next tokens. So for uh, OpenAI, it's like a kind of a GPT model. 
meets more similar to BART, which is encoder decoder, um, because I thought it could be maybe more efficient. And then they have that clip model that uh, actually was released. Uh, they released little by little a model larger and larger, but uh, that's a model that has like revolutionized a bit, uh, a bit, um, a lot of the. Um, a lot of the research in multiple modalities and that include like text and images and now audio people are adapting it for 3d but it's that model that basically it will tell you how well it learns how well a text um, and an image match so it will give a score you give a text you give an image and it will give a score based on how well it believes they match so for example when you use the demo um, we output more images than the nine that you see we output maybe 16 maybe more if there's uh, not too much traffic, which never happens nowadays. <laughs> um, but then over those 16, we have clip look at them and it chooses the nine that it thinks are the best and it actually improves the quality quite a bit. Oh, interesting. So there's outliers that you don't get to, yeah. you don't get to see. The, the ones that are really bad, typically it, it will find them like, no, don't, don't show them. It's not <laughs> worth it. But uh, so, so, so the paper actually has those ideas, which are the essential ideas. Mm. Then it's missing some details on how it's trained and all. There's a lot of details. There's some things a bit that are missing, um, but overall it's a good base enough to to build something. I wish you know, like I could have just run the code immediately <laughs> and train it. Actually, you know, in a way, in a way, I'm quite happy. Uh, how to say it? In a way, you know, the fact that it was not released pushed me to motivated me to learn how to build it. I don't think I would have learned um, how it was built if I didn't have to try to build it myself. Hmm. That's cool. I mean, how sensitive is the performance to the details of how the model works in your opinion? Like, I, I always wonder this, I don't know if you have a thought here, but like when I look at the attention mechanism, you know, we tell ourselves a story about, you know, the three vectors that get generated and how they're multiplied together. Oh yeah. But I kind of wonder like, you know, how much do you think that the specifics of that really matters? So I think there are some details that whatever you put, it works. You know, it's like a, when I started to do machine learning, I know you have to do a convnet to detect cats and dogs. And I remember I was like, oh, I'm going to try to build my own model. And then you're like, what depth should I put? How many layers? I'm like, I'm going to put 12 here and then I'm going to put 36 and then I'm going to put less and more. And I would put random things for no reason. And whatever you do, it works, you know, like a simple <laughs> model, whatever, whatever you do in the end, it kind of works. Mm. Um, I think, you know, there's so many configuration where, where it would work. Um, and you actually don't need to bother too much mm. on the larger model. You know, there, there's some scaling laws and there's a bit of research and it's kind of hard to know what, what works, what doesn't work. But I tried to follow them a bit because I'm like, okay, some people tried a few things and I'm going to try to to use, you know, the same ratio they have of width versus depth. And, and then I have a report where I tried a lot of variants. Like transformers, there's like 100 different variants. So I tried a lot of them. And uh, actually some converge, some not necessarily converge better, but were more stable for some reason. Uh, so I tried a bunch of them and... I picked the one that worked uh, that worked the best. Interesting. Yeah, some for the activation, like the activation function. I don't think it matters a lot. Uh, I tried different. You know, you have initially when you tried hyperparameters, like oh, let me try different activation functions. It it barely matters overall. <laughs> uh, whatever you put is it's okay. <laughs> but um, 
but yeah, maybe there's some advantages. You know, I had one, maybe it had some noise, and I was like, okay, I'm going to take the one that 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 was stable. But maybe, you know, I, if I had just taken another seed, <laughs> I would have had different results. So I don't know how much I can rely on some of the conclusions. Cool. What, I mean, what do you attribute to the model's massive increase in popularity? Like I, um, you know, I think I, we kind of noticed that our, our metrics for reports are getting messed up because there's so much traffic to your <laughs> um, report. What, what, what do you think is going on? Yeah, so I think, you know, somehow people, are, people think that that model is new. But that model has been there for a year already almost. Um, it's just like over time I worked on it and little by little it became it became better. And actually the, the traffic, like like the people using the model, people involved in the forums and talking about it, actually increased a bit over time. But I think when I trained a larger model, it reached like maybe a critical stage where suddenly it became good enough that Good enough for like virality, and like uh, I think some uh, maybe YouTubers tried maybe for fun. They would put their name and they would put their name in different situation, uh, like in the golf cart or whatever. And suddenly they would see their face and they would see something that looks like them. Not really, that was not very good, but that kind of looks like them. And they would put themselves in like the craziest situations. And uh, I think they got excited about it, and little by little it amplified. Um, but yeah, it's just reached a threshold where it was good enough. What's fun is like uh, the model is actually still training a little bit. So I'm curious of, is it going to be much better? And there's still stuff to improve. So it's interesting. It already reached a threshold that uh, interests people. And um, there's easy ways to make it still better. So, How much data did you train this model on? So it's probably, I would say, around maybe 400 million. Wow, 400, 500 million. But you know, the data is actually is actually very important, and there's some you know there's some tricks here and there to try to make it work. Um, when we train the model at first, and when you look at a lot of open source model that exist that you that you can uh, play with, a lot of some problems that will happen a lot is like uh, you would say, okay, I want a view of the snowy mountains. And you would draw maybe well the snowy mountains. And then on top of it, you would write Shutterstock. <laughs> I would write Alami, you know? And the model had learned that, okay, an image typically needs to have a Shutterstock watermark or right. Alami, which was like kind of horrible, you know? Because yeah. that image was like completely new and you would have that horrible watermark on it. Uh-huh. So one of the first things I did was like, okay, I don't want any of those images. You know, I was like, <laughs> how, how to avoid that? So... It, it actually, it was a little problem, but for example, how, how did I solve that problem? Uh, initially, you know, I looked online, hey, how to detect if an image has a watermark or not. Um, there was some things here and there, but it was not that great. And then um, and then some people were trying to generate data set with fake watermarks to try to detect it. And it was like already a big challenge to do that. And then I realized, okay, I can just remove all the images that have shadow stock in the URL. <laughs> and that right. problem is solved. <laughs> and actually, that was the that's the solution I took, and uh, and it works quite well because you you never see a watermark. Interesting. And and uh, I guess how long does it take to train on four hundred million images? So, I think the what matters the most when you have a lot when you when we didn't have a lot of data initially. Mm-hmm. Um, after a while, the model overfits. 
Um, and um, even more, it's a bit smaller. You know, the, the smaller model was was what 400 million parameters, which is already quite big. Mm-hmm. But uh, after a while, you overfit. Maybe I think after five or six epochs, I would overfit. And typically, that was the equivalent of maybe I don't know two weeks uh, on one single TPU VM. Um, now, when you have like so much data, maybe more than what your model size can handle. I don't know if you overfit that easily. Um, maybe you can, but that's where you know you need to be very careful of having a good validation loss because uh, there's that cool model f- uh, that's called RUDALI, uh, the Russian DALI, which is really, really nice. But when you use it, it looks like it overfits. Um, it's a bit, I think it's not as good at composition, but it will make really nice images. It uses also, it, it encodes the images also in a higher resolution than me. So mm-hmm. they have less of those artifacts. But sometimes you, you realize that you will type a description and it will show an image that it has seen before. So there's a lot of memory in that. Um, so they overfit. And, and I think maybe they didn't have the right validation set. And there's a problem in that validation set too, which is if you just try to take um, random set for your training data and you call it the validation set, it doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is typically, uh, let's say the Google logo is present on a ton of websites. So you have a ton of URL that will have that will be unique, uh, that will have that Google logo, but maybe the caption is different. So maybe if you try to be unique by image and caption, uh, because it's okay to have the same image with multiple descriptions, but it's it's not good for your validation set because remember when you train it, the pixels see the previous pixel. So it will recognize the image, it may ignore the caption and you will see your validation loss going down, but just because it doesn't care about the prompt, it just recognizes the images and just predicts it. I see, that makes sense. So you're really training on just captions on images that you crawled on the web? That's right, that's right. I would imagine that would introduce all kinds of crazy artifacts like do you get is it easy to generate cool logos of, of companies yeah it can so actually i actually it, it's good at creating logos and it's funny because uh it's something that made me happy uh, a while back so some person reached out to me like hey my mom started a new business she couldn't afford to have a graphic designer i just used aluminium i gave her a logo it was good enough for her business <laughs> Amazing. and i was like so happy that you know it was helpful in that way um so it can do surprising things and you, you know, like some things that I didn't realize would be possible and the fact that it's open and that so many people can use it, that's mm-hmm. how I, I'm learning so much more. You know, like I realized I was barely testing the model before. You know, I was putting a, a cat on a skateboard while people have those crazy prompts, you know, like my prompt, I thought when I was putting the Eiffel Tower on the moon, I thought I was creative, but uh, <laughs> like it's, it's ridiculous <laughs> in comparison to what other people do. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, do you have plans for what you want to do next? Yeah, I think there, I think I have a lot of ideas. I don't know where I would go next. Obviously, like the, the model that use diffusion are very attractive because they do very impressive images. So it's definitely something I want to look at. How does that work? I'm not for models that do diffusion. Diffusion. So diffusion, the way it works, instead of predicting the, the image in one shot, because here you predict a patch and you just predict in a way in one shot, you, you iterate many times and you have an image that's like initially just noise, random noise. So imagine like random pixels, random colors, and, and you try to remove that noise little by little. And you, you go through it like 
hundred times or maybe a thousand times a high number of steps, there's ways to try to go through it a bit less times. But you go through the less through the same model many times, each time it removes a little bit of noise. And at the end, it ends up to an image that's actually cool. So it's almost like uh, I compare to me almost if it was like a recurrent model where, you know, you go through it. But the fact that you just remove the, the noise little by little, it guides it to a loss that's very friendly to train. Um, so it's, it's, it's like super promising. And it's like, I mean, it's already proved to, to work very well with DALI2 and Imagine. Um, so, so that's something cool. The, the problem with those models is they're a bit more um, computationally expensive. So we still need a bit of research on how to make it more efficient. Uh, which I think is something interesting. Um, so I'll probably look at that, but but there's also, you know, my current model as many ways it can also be improved in cheap ways and fast ways. So maybe I, I'll try to, to do that or a bit or fine tuning, you know, fine tuning it on your own art or your own data. I think that could be pretty cool. And, um, and then there's people, you can use the same model to maybe generate sound or music or video you, you can do like so much with the same type of model so it's pretty exciting what what uh, where it's going i think it's going to go very fast too is there any um feature we could add to weights and biases to help you with your work uh to be fair i feel like i've been using all the features with that project <laughs> you know i have the I have the pipeline the model is trained I have the checkpoints i resume from those it's all tracked when i do inference i cannot do i cannot do inference during training because it would be too expensive i need to load that that image decoder model mm -hmm. so you know it would be inefficient so i have another machine that does it that uh, that's linked to the to the checkpoint so i have nice. that entire pipeline you know that's set up and that does regularly some inference and all. Uh, what could be added? Are you using alerts like for when your model starts to go badly? I, I should because uh, I look at the training way too often, you know, on my phone. <laughs> you know, like you, you have a little pause or I go somewhere I'm working and I'm checking quickly, is it still training or did the TPU crash or not? <laughs> is the loss going high? Um, maybe alert would make me feel uh, feel more relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have to tell you, I, it's been really fun to watch my friends who aren't in machine learning talking about Dolly Mini and, and being like, oh, I know Boris, I, you know, I know the guy that made it and they, they're impressed. So uh, congratulations on, on oh. um, such a successful model. It's really captured everybody's imagination. Thank you. That's fun. I, I like that. Uh, I think it's cool to see so many people using it. I was a bit scared that, uh, you know, because you could see it in negative ways too, or it's creating images. Um, but uh, overall, the reaction has been pretty positive. People are happy that they can see um, through that model what are the limitations and biases and what can it be used for. And they can test it out themselves. And if I had to figure out the limitations and biases myself, it would be impossible. So it's actually, I think it's actually really cool. And I like that, you know, it's used for, for people who cannot draw at all like me. <laughs> all it's right. kind of cool because even if the image is not that pretty, it's still so much better than what I could do. <laughs> But uh, for people who are actually talented, uh, it, it's, I'm happy to see that some people, they use it as inspiration. They take, hey, this was the output from Dali Mini. And then they use Photoshop and they do something crazy out of it. And uh, I think it's, it's really nice to see that it can also be used that way. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Boris. Great to, great to chat. Thanks. Awesome chatting with you. 
If you're enjoying this interview series, the most helpful thing that you can do for us is leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. And really, we do these shows so that people will watch them. And what I really want is more people to find it. So if you leave us a review, I really appreciate it. 